Welcome back to this week's From the Bridge. I'm the captain of Fishbait Marketing and your host, Rick Jones. Today, we're going to spend a little bit more time finishing our discussion on fit and why fit is so important as a foundational element of sponsorship. We're also going to hear from our guest angler, Mike Millay, who is my other partner at Engagement Partners. Uh, We heard in our first episode from Mike's son, David, who's our uh, third partner. Um, I like to refer to Mike as an operational savant, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from Mike. But first, let's dive back into fit. In our last session, we talked a great deal about demographical differences uh, in, um, in our society today. We talked about the five different unique generations that are in the marketplace. But forget demographics for a minute, and let's talk about psychographics. Um, it, it's not how old you are, it's how old you feel you are. Um, it's... Um, a society made up of all kinds of differences in the way we live our lifestyles. You know, one of the things that I believe was a a big mistake in America was when we eliminated the draft. Um, And I benefited from that. Um, I was the last um, group that actually had a lottery number, a draft lottery number. And the Vietnam War was ending, and my generation, my class, none of us got drafted. Uh, I remember the year before, I was born on March 6, 1954. Uh, The year before, March 6, 1953, the lottery number was number four. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's going to be great. Mathematically, I'll have an easy time next year. I'll get a high number. Well, my birthday, March 6, 1954, was number two. (laughs) So if they had drafted anybody, I would have certainly gone. Uh, But they didn't that year. But let me tell you one of the reasons I I feel like we failed as a society when we eliminated the draft is one of the things that the draft did was it allowed the haves and the have-nots to have to learn to respect one another. Um, You know, today... um, we really don't see the world as it is. Uh, we see the world as we are. And we all lived in these v- vertical bubbles. Uh, we just hang out with people that think like us, look like us, talk like us. Uh, they're politically like us. They're socially like us. They're economically like us. That's very dangerous. Uh, we've lost our sense of empathy, I think, in America today. Uh, we're made up of so many different uh, ethnic groups. Um, we're made up of men and women. We're made up of people with different sexual orientations. Um, and yet we've seemed to have lost our respect for our differences. Uh, I think I've told you before, one of my favorite foods is gumbo. Uh, what makes gumbo great is all the different ingredients that go into gumbo. And that's what I think makes America great is the, the differences of, of our people. Um, and we need to begin to to respect the, the differences uh, in them. Um, and so um, we've got, you know, a variety of target audiences out there, again, generationally or psychographically for properties and sponsoring brands alike. But the next criteria uh, criteria is that old thing we call money. Um, namely, does the sponsor have the financial resources to actually foot the bill? <laughs> Not only do they have the money to pay a rights fee, but do they have the resources, both the financial and human capital resources, 
to activate their sponsorships appropriately. And finally, there's this thing, this intangible we call culture. Do the business cultures of both the property and the sponsor align? Do they like each other enough to get married? (laughs) Because the truth is that a meaningful sponsorship is exactly like a marriage with gives and takes alike. Cultural alignment is one of the most critical elements of fit. So let me give you a few examples of both good and bad fits. Let's start with some good ones. We've previously mentioned our client Warner Ladder and March Madness. It's a perfect fit. Warner's number one in ladders. They make and sell more ladders than anybody else. And March Madness is the number one event in college basketball. A perfect fit. Uh, Warner is actually on the court uh, with the specially designed product. Um, A few years ago, we did a study where we weighed and measured teams that actually will climb, potentially climb the ladder and cut down the nets. And so we built a ladder that's different. It's got broader steps for bigger feet. It's a nine-foot podium ladder. You can't buy a nine-foot podium ladder. But that nine-foot ladder makes it easy to cut down the nets. It also makes it very easy for you to see our logo on national television. Uh, The ladder is such a metaphor for teams. You know, to succeed as a team, you have to climb the ladder of success one rung or one step at a time. Uh, Because, folks, uh, success is not an escalator. (laughs) It's a ladder, and it takes that effort. And interestingly, when you climb the ladder to cut down the nets, the very last person that does that is the head coach. And if you think about ladders, ladders don't do anything by themselves. Ladders are tools to greatness. And coaches don't get to play. They are tools or provide tools for their teams to be successful. So Warner and March Madness is a perfect fit. Here's another great fit. College football game day built by the Home Depot. College football game day attracts men. Home Depot wants to reach men. They want to reach men in the fall. They want to reach men early on Saturday mornings right before they head to their home improvement stores to prepare for their home improvement projects. They also want to be in an environment without clutter where they can dominate. And they have appropriate branding and activation elements. They're now, I think, in their 22nd year of sponsoring game day. And the reason is it's a perfect fit and continues to be a perfect fit. Here's another one. Our client Budweiser has a partnership with the Country Music Association CMA Festival. Budweiser is the quintessential American lager. And this is the quintessential American music festival. It's a perfect marriage between two brands. And here's a recent one I really appreciated. I I went to Jazz Fest and AARP sponsored the Rhythm Porium at Jazz Fest this year for the first time. It was a place where musicians signed autographs. It was a place where they served wine and they sold CDs. Now, why is that a perfect fit and a perfect activation? Well, if you go to Jazz Fest, you find lots and lots and lots of baby boomers who actually drink a lot of wine and still use CDs, and they like to talk to musicians. A lot of the young people who were there were snickering, but we baby boomers liked it. 
and we're the target audience for AARP. Now let's talk about some bad fits. Here's one very recently from the world of major sports advertising, and this was Burger King and the Super Bowl. Burger King ran an ad that showed Andy Warhol eating a hamburger. The creative elites absolutely loved that spot. Andy Warhol eating a hamburger. Now, here's what I'd like to challenge you to do today. Go to any Burger King in the country and sit in their parking lot for about four hours and watch who comes and goes out of Burger King. Burger King depends on 21-year-old, lower-educated males that eat there seven, eight, nine times a week. Um, That particular target audience has no idea who the hell Andy Warhol is and doesn't care. This was a classic case of being intellectually clever and being ridiculous about the fit. You know, ultimately, the fans kind of determine the fit. Fans get the fit. With no fit, there's no foundation. And ultimately, there's no fun. It's now time for the Tuesday tip. We've just celebrated Memorial Day. Memorial Day reminds us that freedom has never been free. That Americans from all backgrounds, from all communities, and all walks of life have made the ultimate sacrifice of laying down their lives so we can enjoy our freedoms and our way of life. This week, make it a priority to thank someone in the military or someone who has served all of us so well. It's now time for our guest angler. Today's guest is my other partner and engagement partner, Mike Millay. Mike is one of my oldest friends, and we are delighted to now have the chance to work together. Before becoming a managing partner in engagement, Mike worked over 20 years at the Walt Disney World, running the Disney and now ESPN Wide World Sports Complex, which is the world's largest sports participation complex. As I previously said, I like to call Mike an operational savant because of all the things he learned and applied at Disney. Mike also was the founder of the New Orleans Sports Commission after getting his master's degree in sports administration from Ohio University. Mike is a diehard LSU fan where he wrestled as an undergraduate student. In in addition to his role at engagement, Mike also runs Clancy Sports, the leading sports tourism consultancy in the country, and is a partner at Three Dimensional Sports, which trains youth coaches in all areas of excellence. Let's welcome Mike to the show. Mike, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, Rick. Good to to be on the ship. 
we had the chance to have David on our inaugural show, and he kind of told us why he wanted to create engagement partners. Uh, give us give us your version. Well, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm now 63, and, and college sports has always been really, I think, my favorite sector of the of the sports industry. Um, you know, there's, there's many a time when I, I wish I would have gone into college athletics just cause I love really the, the purity of, of, uh, where competition goes there. Although I think it, it's, it's dramatically changed over the last probably 10 years with the, you know, the, 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 the large sums of money that are being paid by broadcast and the changing landscape uh, of, of college sports. So part of the reason that it interested me was because one, I, I think, uh, my, my 20 years of, of corporate America with, uh, the Walt Disney company, uh, specifically in the sports space, I felt there was, there was elements that I learned, uh, from being surrounded by a lot of smart people that, that I, I thought I could, uh, lend some insights and, uh, hopefully make an imprint on, uh, the sector that I just really love so much. I love college football, love college basketball, love track and field, love wrestling. So I just, I really enjoy college sports. Mike, why do you think so many colleges have, um, are not doing a great job of engaging fans? Well, you know, I think they've, they've to some degree have, have been blinded by the dollars. I, I listen, I think, I think at the, the, the smaller schools, I still think they, they desperately try to do that because they're, they're, they don't have the, you know, the the large budget. So I I think quite honestly, a lot of ads in smaller schools tend to have to work harder because they have less. Um, but I think at the at the large, you know, the Power Five and and even probably the next tier down, um, they are they're caught up in a in a game of of catching up to their competitor. If if this school uh, builds this, then I've got to build that. If they build this locker room, I've got to do that. If they pay this much for a coach, I've got to do that. So it, it, it feels like there's a, we've got a bunch of followers and not as many leaders who are going to take a stand and, and make some real changes. I know it's not easy because, you know, le- a leading is tough to begin with, but to making such a quantum quantum change, I think if not, we're going to see a lot less sports on the college campuses and it's going to be turning into football and potentially basketball factories at some schools. And I think that would be a tragedy. You know, one of the the beauties of college athletics is the fact that it gives so many student athletes a chance to compete in so many, many different sports. Um, but, but yeah, we seem to be focusing on the revenue producing sports, um, maybe to the, to the detriment of some of the, uh, the other sports. I, I found that the, the, the colleges tend to live in a bubble um, and they tend to benchmark only themselves. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to create engagement partners was the ability to bring thinking outside of the collegiate space, um, you know, to them uh, so that they're not just comparing um, themselves to each other. Um, talk a little bit about your Disney experience and some of the, some of the things that you learned there that, uh, uh, that it translates well to the collegiate space. Well, I think there's actually a, there's a, there's a lot of parallels um, in that, uh, you know, co- college sports. Um, and if you think of, you know, big time football, it, it really is uh, about that that game day experience. Uh, there's only a handful of home games every year. And so you have to 
you have to maximize what you do for those eight, eight, eight home games, let's say. Um, and that's du- that's tough because you can't you don't get the efficiencies and the scale um, that at Disney we would get because we're, we're, we're entertaining guests 365. In this case, you're entertaining a lot of guests, maybe eight weekends a year. And let's bring in a couple of, you know, big, uh, uh, you know, basketball games, maybe baseball games, depending on where you're at or, or, or volleyball or wrestling matches, wherever it might be. But it's, it's hard to gear your staff, your organizational design around um, entertaining, um, which is what events have turned into because most athletic directors and, and their staff is, is appropriately focused on the student athlete experience. It, but it feels like we've, we've outsourced a lot of the, the, the touch points to the consumer. And I think that's part of where um, athletic departments have kind of lost touch. It's uh, they're having to focus so much on, you know, the key revenue drivers and the personalities within their university that it's, it's very, very difficult to, to balance all those things. That's why, you know, when I, when I was at Disney, we just, we had so many different departments with so many really great people, um, that, you know, it, it basically took everybody putting their oars in at the right time and rowing the right direction to make it work. You know, I like to say that fan engagement has two sides. It's firstly doing the right things. And then secondly, doing things right. And they're not mutually inclusive, uh, you're probably the best I've ever seen at doing things right. Talk about why that's so important. Well, uh, you know, it's about it, it, it's 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 about delivering on the promise, right? It it uh, it's one thing to say you're going to have a good experience, but if you if you don't deliver on that, you you end up falling short. So, um, you know, the attention to detail is really, um, I think, what Disney did so well. We we overmanaged. Uh, where most people don't pay attention. And I think that overmanaging small details tends to get people to go, wow, I never thought about that. That, that, that was really a nice ad or a nice feature. So I think if you take that down into, you know, just classic project management, um, it's making sure you're, you do things right, but then do things a little extra and add a little flair, a little Disney difference, a little magic on it. And people will remember that. Because I think we've all, uh, you know, I don't care where you're at now, the expectation of the consumer is higher than it's ever been. So if, if you don't get service, you know, you're right away, you're trying to find the manager to see if that manager can get you the, the result you're looking for. So I think if you're, if you're able to create organizations and train people the right way, um, and they are very clear on what their why is in terms of exceeding guest expectations, it becomes a lot easier for organizations to... Um, to work together. You know, I find so few organizations and events have the processes necessary for sustaining customer service excellence. How do, how, how do you, how do you put in processes? Oh, that's a great one. Um, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of businesses are in survival mode. And I think the challenge that you have in college athletics, and we've seen it with several of our clients is that they just don't have enough manpower to do everything they do. So, they tend to accomplish something and they don't take the time to look in the rear view mirror and say, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And, and how do we improve on it? So I think that's part of what you, you have to really, you, you have to architect these processes in. Um, when, 
you know, when we were at, at Wide World of Sports, I mean, we, we, were, we were very fortunate to have so many opportunities come our way in so many different sports. But all sports aren't created equal. All events aren't created equal. So we had to put some rigor around that, <clears throat> that first step is, is that evaluation process. Um, so I think if, if what you, what you, again, you, you have to overmanage each step of the way. Um, so we would have a, you know, an event review committee, um, and putting together our, our game day action plan. And then we had a post event review uh, process that was very rigorous as well as basically, you know, this was the plan, how do we execute against it and how do we improve on it? Where I think most organizations are is they, they have a hard time looking in that rear view mirror. Um, and so they end up tending to make the same mistakes over and again, or, or they, or they don't, in, they don't leverage the opportunities that were exposed at that time. Um, you know, it, it, one could look at the, the, the food and beverage cues at any one of the QSRs at, or any one of the concession stands across the, the Disney property. And there is a real method to how fast you get somebody through there in an efficient way. And just saving seconds in queue time is going to bring more money to the bottom line. So it's, it's just those little steps that you take in, you know, whether it's using industrial engineers to, you know, more efficiently uh, design your queue or uh, it's, it's great finance people who are really looking at how to improve processes. You know, I like to tell people it's, it's never the bear in the woods, it's the mosquitoes. <laughs> it, it, it's just all the little, little things. Let's switch gears for a moment and talk a little bit about Clancy Sports and sports tourism. Tell the listeners what you're doing in that, in that arena. Yeah, well, I, I left Disney five years ago, and, and uh, there was a, the one thing that Wide World of Sports did is we really kind of redefined youth sports tourism uh, as, as we know it today. Uh, when we built it back in 1997, when we opened, um, it was really it was the largest and, and still is the busiest sports complex in the world. Um, but what we didn't realize was going to happen um, is it increased the volume of competition. When I started the New Orleans Sports Foundation back in in, in 1988, um, there there were really 12 to 15 cities in the country that had organizations whose purpose was to attract sporting events to their destination for the purposes of economic impact. I just left the National Association of Sports Commission uh, annual symposium, and there were a thousand people there uh, representing about 600 destinations across the country. So every small town in America has looked to sports and specifically youth sports to help drive incremental room nights in their own little marketplace, whether you're it's Sheboygan, Wisconsin or Dallas, Texas. Um, so what, what I'm doing right now is, is doing a lot of strategic planning with a lot of these organizations who are looking to understand how sports tourism works, to understand how their community needs to be organized and positioned and what they need to do to go out there and attract it. And that starts with organization. Do you have the right facilities? Do you have the right commitment of the community? Do you have the right vision, the right mission? So I work, work through with them in a, in a big way on that. Uh, I've also spent a lot of time now in helping uh, in some cases municipalities, but now there's more private uh, developers who are getting into the construction of of uh, youth sports facilities. So helping them on everything from design to how do you program it to how do you run it. Um, and I just having a great time 
basically leveraging those 20 years at Disney and, and helping other communities across the country. Hey, before you leave us, I also want our listeners to know more about three-dimensional sports. Tell, tell everybody what that's all about. Yeah, so I, I've just been so fortunate to to be, you know, like you, Rick. You know, we we've 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 run across so many interesting people in this space. And uh, about six years ago, one of my uh, dearest friends, a guy by the name of Dr. Jeff Duke, out of U- University of Central Florida, uh, when he was doing his 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 PhD work in coaching education, realized that uh, the great coaches, the John Woodens of the world, um, uh, you know, what they had in common, and, and it it was, it was understanding there are three dimensions to greatness in coaching. And you could say that there's three dimensions in greatness in leadership or in, in, in teaching and anything you want to do. And uh, for, for three dimensional coaching, it starts off with, you must be great in the physical side. So the first dimension is physical, uh, the, the technical tactical side. How do you run, how do you run a practice? How do you, how do you manage games? Um, Research shows that 85% of all coaches stop after that first dimension. The second dimension is really the mental or psychology side. How do I, how do I motivate Rick? How do I give Rick self-esteem? How do I create team cohesion? So a lot of those are, are psychological and, and, and mental um, aspects to the game. But another 10% of all coaches are able to do both one and, and two. The third dimension is how do I get to the heart of the athlete. How do I get to, how do I get to Rick to get him to give me another year? And what we found is all research is you really have to be a servant leader. It's got to be about Rick. It can't be about me and my record. And, and so I have to really care deeply about Rick. And, uh, so we ended up creating, um, 24 modules, uh, in the second and third dimension. We don't worry about the first dimension at all. And, and, and so we've got uh, these modules online in a, in a learning platform. You can get college education. You get college uh, three three hours college credit with it. Uh, we have certificate programs. So we're we've launched this across the country and actually uh, around the world with uh, our third dimensional partner, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is is our third dimensional partner. Um, and what we've uh, <clears throat> what we were able to do is is School districts, uh, states, coaching associations. We have some NGBs now that are using this. And it basically is, you know, it gets to the point is if you ask any coach why they coach, the majority of them will tell you, I want to make a difference in a kid's life. If you follow that up with a second question, how are you doing that? They scratch their head because they realize everything they're doing is probably first dimensional um, coaching. And so it, it actually allows them to move from being a transactional coach to truly a transformational coach. So we've got uh, a learning platform and, and, you know, trying to, trying to make a difference and bring fun back to sports in, in, uh, in this country for sure. That's all great stuff. Well, Mike, thanks for, uh, for joining us today from the bridge. Thanks Rick. Thanks for having me. Let's close today with another on the road with Rick. The Collegiate Athletic Directors and Support Staff all belong to an organization called NACTA. These are the people that run college athletics except for the coaches. NACTA actually is an acronym for the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics. And NACTA is a big supporter of Wounded Warriors, which is appropriate to mention this Memorial Day week. 
I had the privilege of visiting the NACTA offices in Westlake, Ohio a few years back, and their executive director, my good friend Bob Vecchioni, took me to Johnny's Restaurant in Cleveland. Johnny's is a classic old-school Italian place in an old home. And I ate what is still the single best dish I've ever eaten. And I've had a lot of great dishes around the world. I ate veal stuffed hot peppers. These are ground veal sausage stuffed in a banana pepper and smothered in the very best marinara sauce I've ever had. It's simply sublime. Had a chance to go back to Johnny's last year with our friends from Cleveland Aaron and Laurie, and found that the stuffed peppers to be even better than ever. So put the original Johnny's on your bucket list and get the peppers. That's our show for this week. Check us out at fishbaitmarketing.com and let us know how we're doing. See you next week from the bridge. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from the bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory.